it's it's been an interesting uh, process to get to where making things seems like a viable, like working with my hands is a viable means of like supporting myself. The voice you just heard belongs to Chaska Lance. Um, so my name is Chaska Lance. Um, I am a hairstylist, a fire dancer, a jewelry maker, a plant tender, and it's an odd thing to be 40 and finally like get my feet on the ground and be like, oh yeah, this is my life. Yes! <laughs> Chaska met with me over Zoom in the social distancing of 2020. I adored speaking with her. We laughed a lot, and I learned so much about spinning fire. But everything Chaska and I discussed was a delight for me. I can't wait to introduce you to this earth and fire, life and death, spectacle and authenticity masterpiece of a person. I'm your host, Liz Christensen, and it's all in the telling. Welcome to episode 57 with fire dancer, plant tender, and scavenged jewelry maker, Chaska Lance. I love that you said making things with your hands because, because the first thing I knew about you was that you were a dancer, which it makes me think more like legs and feet than hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and especially with Samba, I joined the company mostly because I could do fire. I could not Samba for the life of me. I had no connection to my hips. I, I mean, you know, that when you're drunk and dancing somewhere, you know, you, you find your hips, but in a totally different way <laughs> on a dance company where there's a choreography and there, <laughs> there's a way to do it and timing. And, and fire was something that I, I saw someone do on a vacation and then I ordered an instructional DVD from New Zealand and just started to learn how to spin in my condo. And it took almost five or six years before I met someone who knew all the fire safety stuff and was like, oh, yeah, you, you're not going to hurt yourself if you light those things on fire. Like, let's do it. So I had just kind of learned how to do it for the fun of it. And then over the course of time and, and meeting different people found this dance company that has really become a, a big part of, of my life and my social circle and my, you know, my emotional supports. And, and it's been really great. How did you stick with an interest in fire dancing for five years when things weren't <laughs> lit on fire? Like, what did you find that you enjoyed about spinning without the fire? I think it was just being able to figure out how to do certain moves um, with poi. So poi are like a, a knot on a, on a string or a chain, basically. And you spin that. So you have one on each hand and you have to learn the momentum of, of how to, to keep your lines straight and how to sync up your timing. And there's always the special side right? So I'm a righty. So my left side was always a little weird. And I, I was in dance classes my whole childhood. And I was on the dance team in high school. And I think that kinesthetic aspect was something that I didn't really have in any other form in my life. So I was learning how to use my body in a different way. I could do it in my house. 
you know, just have a, a video on in front of me and just figure it out myself. And I think that's partly what the appeal was, was how do I do this on my right side or how do I do it counterclockwise? Because especially with, with Poi, you have to be symmetrical. So you have to learn everything going forwards as well as backwards, right and left. You, you can kind of shortcut things, but it really impedes your transitions when you get to a place where you can flow with those moves. If you've got a side that's not as strong or something gets all twisted up when you turn to the left, you're going to have a hard time. So I think the challenge of getting everything kind of almost square, like right, left, forward, back, <laughs> got to okay. have it all. And I, I think that was was part of the appeal. So for people who have no idea what spinning poi looks like, um, mm -hmm. it kind of reminds me of like nunchucks in the movies, right? Like in, in Hollywood movies, it's just this constant movement of a thing in front of me, except mm -hmm. in poi, like you're moving your the rest of your body too, right? Like you don't just stand in a posture and then go for right. it. You can, but it's a little boring to watch. <laughs> so yeah, you, you can go from side to side. A lot of times, if you just kind of turn around yourself, it's almost like a spirograph if oh. you, because you're making circles. So if you change your angle, the residual light from your, your poi kind of leave that little tracer. And that's kind of what I think of it as like a spirograph just moving around me. How many times did you hit yourself? I mean, I know you don't have a number oh. for me. But <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad for guys when they're trying to learn this. I, I don't know a lot of poi spinners who are male. Usually they um, work with a staff. I don't know why things tend to, to kind of split by gender, but there's a, a move where you have your circles are coming in towards each other and their timing is synced so two are going to come right in front of your face and make a, a circle so two circles in front of you and when you get to that spot right about here in front of your face if your placement isn't right they can get kind of tangled up on each other and then they hit you right in the chest the crotch the stomach <laughs> That one, when, when I was first learning that move, I was like, wow, I feel bad for guys because this would be, there's no avoiding it. And I've told people, my boy have a monkey fist knot and that is a really dense style of, of a knot. There's other poi that are made, so they're made of Kevlar. So it's like a strip of fabric, but it's Kevlar. And they're, it's called a cathedral style. And they're basically like if you took two pieces of ribbon candy and kind of smushed them to where the, the back and forth kind of wove overlapping. Okay. And then you put a, and then there's a bolt through the center and you attach that. And that's what your wick is. So those are lighter weight. They're not as dense. And they don't hurt as bad when you hit yourself. Mine are like weapons. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, in choosing your tool, especially when you're new, because these are the only pair of poi that I've, that I've owned, because I've only needed the one, I would recommend a different style for, for most people, because they're kind of unforgiving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, you, I mean, you've wrapped a bolt in Kevlar. That sounds really painful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then you light it on fire. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. Okay, we, we have to get there, but before we do, wick makes me think core. So like that's the interior of the knot. Like with a monkey fist, if you've seen one, like a keychain, usually people will use a solid core and then wrap the rope around it. The fuel that you would use is Coleman fuel, so white gas. Okay. Like, and we always buy it in the like the gallon size. It's that silver and red can. Um, so that's actually what's burning when you're when you're performing. It's not your actual material of your um, of your your wick. So Kevlar, it's the same kind of thing as as like a bulletproof vest. I don't know if you can see the different stripes. There's yeah. one, two, three, four. And then it's just kind of laced around all the other. It's about the same size as my fist. So <laughs> it kind of it kind of looks like um it's a mace weapon, right? No, the swinging one. Pretty yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much. I've I've gotten some good goose eggs because I'll be swinging it from behind me and then up around and kind of get my placement wrong and um, and just, yeah, beat myself a couple of times here and there. So when that person said, you're not gonna hurt yourself if you light those on fire, what they really meant was you're not gonna hurt yourself any extra. Yeah, the contact will hurt, but your flow, so the big um, liability with fire especially with something like this is if it, if it's not moving like with my poi if i just let them hang and they're on fire of course the flame goes up and that's where my hands are <laughs> <laughs> so if you keep them swinging or moving then the heat and the flame is passing passing your arm passing your head and for the most part you're not going to burn yourself unless you have fuel, like the actual gas in your, in your clothing or on your skin. If you've seen uh, performers that eat fire or they, they do what's called fleshing, they have like little kind of almost like marshmallow sized wicks and they're just like a little torch and you can run it across your skin and it looks really cool. The trick is to keep it moving because when you hold still, that's when the fuel could concentrate on your skin. That's when the heat clearly can, can kind of add up and, and possibly really hurt you. <laughs> this so, sounds so much like a, like a bravery thing. I, I actually did a, a little workshop with some neighbors of mine um, this Sunday. And I said, you know, I think the biggest thing that I get from performing with fire is the you're welcome factor. And that sounds kind of egotistical, but you can have a fan, which is basically a, um, a stationary tool. So I said, you want to keep it moving, but with a fan, your, your wicks are above your hand and you can just kind of stand there and hold this torch basically, but you have maybe four or five of them on, on one hand and you can just stand there and look amazing <laughs> fire makes everything cooler and you can just stand there and be like yeah you're welcome look at this 
and it, at least for me, you know, maybe if you were to just hear that statement, it sounds kind of egotistical, but I feel like it's it's more of like a powerful kind of thing where you have the confidence, the experience, some of the, the courage to light something on fire and hold on to it and move around. And, and sometimes with a lot of my tools, there is a, a pretty big heat wave. When you move it, the heat follows. I've singed my hair. <laughs> um, I've, this is my hair is pretty long for me right now. So the last show I did, I actually had to put a headband on and kind of contain it. Man, I've been doing fire for about six years, and there's still that edge when I get everything placed and I'm figuring out where my tools are and the timing of stuff. I'm like, okay, you're gonna light stuff on fire now, and there's people around and. Don't screw it up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it is kind of a bravery test every time you do it. I think even if you're a seasoned fire dancer, you've got to stay on your toes as far as certain liabilities, because as safe as you can make it with having good tools and and knowing what you're doing, things can go wrong. I mean, you could get caught up on on your flow and your tools could tangle and hopefully they're far enough away from your body that that fuel doesn't get on your clothes because that's when it can get bad. So most of the time when you're spinning, you want to be in very natural fabrics, jeans, like denim, not stuff with elastic, which is hard to find. <laughs> oh, that's just going to um, melt, right? Yeah, so I've um, leather, denim, and I mean, it might seem kind of scanty, but skin, like if you, if, if there's no fabric on your body, that's probably safer than a lot of street clothes. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, maybe I have this uh, preconceived notion about what fire dancers look like, and it's a little scanty or sparse or, or whatever, mm-hmm. partly because there is an appeal Sure, aesthetically. Sure, but yeah. um, but also like I don't think I want anything dangling from me. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. Yeah, loose loosens are are no good. So, yeah, things need to be fairly tight, but give you enough room to move. And and natural fibers are are definitely what you want to do if if you've got to wear clothes. <laughs> <laughs> kind of take me through a process because because it's fire and because you were saying like I don't want to get fuel on my clothes I'm guessing that you are very careful about how you prepare to perform mm-hmm. um logistically also like mentally also physically so like what's your what's your pre-game you want to check it like I mentioned a bolt that goes through your wicks those are going to screw into something else so one of the the pre-show checks is like you want to take all your wicks and pull on them and move them around and tighten anything up. My poi also have little carabiners. So you'd, yeah, make sure everything's tight and locked in. Yeah, you don't want flaming um, balls of fire to just go off. Oh, I actually did. That happened once. Tell me I did. story. So the first set of poi that I, that I purchased were, they were still made of Kevlar, but the connection from the wick to the chain 
was not one of those kinds of carabiners where you like screw the that oh, metal part into yeah, yeah it yeah. just kind of clicked in oh and yeah i was at the midway ice castles oh <laughs> big i mean like that's a pretty big crowd this was about six years ago and one of them came off I swung it and it flew off and I can't remember I think this is the also this is also a a good segue into the preparation it's very important to have a lot of space between you and your audience (laughs) (laughs) because if I remember right it got close to the crowd but it didn't actually hit anyone but it was yeah, it was a little scary because I think that was one of the first times I had actually spun fire. And then it's at a public venue and a paying gig. And I, yeah, it was, it was one of those, oh, this is not going to be good moments. It ended up being okay. But you want your perimeter to be pretty substantial <laughs> between you and your crowd, just in case. You always want to have a safety. So as my boyfriend has gotten roped into a lot of jobs and of course it's in the winter and he is from Guam so he has thin blood (laughs) and I feel really bad asking him to just like you go over in that corner and just stay there and hold on to like a wet towel just in case something goes wrong when it's new year's eve or something you know it's 20 (laughs) degrees outside here go stay in that dark corner and hold something wet and make sure that i stay safe (laughs) (laughs) so you always want to have a spotter and your fuel source um so i use an ammo can if anyone's been to like a military surplus store or something there they hold bullets usually but they lock they have a lid that like snaps shut and has another lever that kind of closes it down yeah and it holds liquid I mean you can turn it tip it over and it won't leak so that's wonderful and it has a handle so that's I think the most common thing that I've seen people use or like a paint can like a metal paint can so that you can close that lid really well and you want to make sure that your your dip station where you actually keep your tools and your fuel is really far away from where you are spinning because again things might happen and <laughs> fuel in a mass quantity like a gallon and something on fire you want to keep those fairly separated so you have your tool and that's your your kevlar and then you've got your fuel and you just you take your your tool and dip that in the fuel and you can either do like an in and out quick dip so that it's not super saturated into that material or you can hold that sucker down wait for all the air bubbles to come out and you can get a pretty long burn time depending on on your wick so those monkey fists are very dense and they have lots of of those coils around the knot so if I soak those really thoroughly I'd say I could probably spin for five to eight minutes I mean eight would be really pushing it but a good solid five minute burn time with with those if I really just soak them 
are you spinning to music? Cause that, I mean, that definitely gets you a good song length. Easy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yes. Usually, um, usually I do have a set list. A lot of the performances that I do are, are, you know, the like birthday parties or something. So I get to choose my music, which is pretty nice. But there are times where I've been at a festival or something and there's a DJ playing and you're on the stage. You have no idea what they're going to have on. So, And sometimes the fire is so loud, especially when you first light it, it makes this roar. And sometimes I don't hear my music. It doesn't matter what's playing because I can't hear it. Wow, I would never have guessed that. Yeah, it's it's something that I don't notice as much anymore. But when I first started, that was probably one of the almost like biggest surprises about what I was doing and, and just, you know, the heat and the, there's all these other aspects that sensory wise you don't anticipate, but that sound is just one of the coolest things. <laughs> I, I love it, but I didn't, um, I had no idea how loud it was going to be when I started. And, and yeah, sometimes you don't really hear the music because it's just, it's really fun. <laughs> so uh, that sounds like a lot of potential sensory distractions though, like mm-hmm. so that you're going to tangle and you're going to like lose your flow. Yeah, and I I think that was also a motivating factor for just practicing with, basically, you can start with like knee-high socks or thigh-high socks, something about as long as your arm, stick some tennis balls in the bottom of those, and you have practice poi. I mean, it's it's pretty cheap, and it's something that you can do in the house. If you hit yourself, it's not that bad. But I was I was pretty freaked out about the possibility of getting tangled, getting stuck, hitting myself. So that was part of the motivation to just keep keep drilling all those moves and clean up my lines to where when all those other things are happening, I don't have to think about whether or not I'm going to get tangled because that part is muscle memory. I have a a bit of a dance background. And so I love like the muscle memory technique, discipline, physical training, right? Mm -hmm. But there's still also like kind of a mental game to it as well. So like, how do you, like, do you just jump in like performance mode? I'm on, or do you have like a ritual? It's pretty fluid. I I think when I was less experienced, I was a little more nervous. I'd try to stay back behind the performance area and, and kind of get the shakes out. But now it's, it's a lot more just like, Oh, well, this is okay. This is someone's backyard. Uh, let's put our stuff over there. And now it's actually more the logistics of getting my music synced up to their Bluetooth speaker. And (laughs) (laughs) some of those other aspects that change with every place that you are, that I think has become more of the focus is to make sure that those variables are taken care of and and kind of, I guess, mapped out for me rather than the actual spinning. I feel like half, maybe half of what we're talking about is some awesome metaphor for life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Find the things where you can have muscle memory so that the variables in life 
don't super trip you up. Yeah, I think that's a good, yeah, it is a good metaphor. I feel like this year, I I have dubbed it the year of cultivating acceptance. Oh, I like that. <laughs> because I've had, I mean, I, I think everyone has had experiences where they're like, this shouldn't be happening, or I wish this was different, or, you know, kind of tying it back to a performance, like this stage is tiny. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Or I don't have, you know, the the 15 feet that I'm used to having between me and, and my crowd. Well, do we just call it? Do we not do the performance? Or do I do the performance and hate it the whole time because it's not what I want it to be? No, you just, you figure out how to make the best of where you're at and make your performance the best you can. When you dip, Mm -hmm. (laughs) how do you not end up leaving? This is probably such an ignorant question, but I'm asking anyway. How does it not leave a little trail that is eventually going to light on fire back from where you're performing over to your stuff? I actually, that's a perfect question because I totally forgot the part where you spin all the excess off. (laughs) (laughs) So usually, so um, with Samba Fogo, in April every year, but this one, we have a show at Rose Wagner Theater. So there's the back alleyway where we dip everything. So we're outside. Um, so you dip and then you kind of run out into the middle of the street and you just spin them so that anything that could get kind of flicked off goes out onto the road where you're not going to be. And then we scamper inside onto the stage. But Some people do use the excess fuel as kind of an extra wick almost because you can kind of light, like you can drag it on the asphalt around you and have this little, it doesn't last long, but you can have like a little circle of fire around you. Um, Also evaporation is your friend. So when I do a set by myself and I've got all these tools lined up and I, I need this one to be ready and dipped, you know, the halfway through and Josh is in the back trying to time everything. Sometimes we'll just dip it and then set it off to the side and let evaporation just kind of do its thing because it'll sit there for a minute or two. And and that usually does take care of a lot of the, the extra. With Samba Fogo, a lot, we have like two people that are backstage just to handle all the fire stuff. And they do all of that for us, which is really nice. And I feel like a total princess when that happens. <laughs> I'm like, oh, thank you for my tools. You've already dipped and spun them off. I'm going to go be fabulous now. <laughs> it's pretty nice. <laughs> Samba Fogo blows my mind a little bit because when I think of Samba, the first thing I think of is Carnival, right? Rio de Janeiro. And these big hats and feathers and sequins mm-hmm. and lots of dangly bits. So yes. like, how is that happening? <laughs> so with with our shows, the fire costumes are much more pared down, and they're they're usually not specific to the samba as the actual dance. So there's the fire dancing, and then the samba aspect is is like a whole different piece. Okay. Um, but the, the yeah, you can wear a. a nice big crown you just have to be very aware of your placement but just to be on the safe side usually any extraneous items on your on your costume are 
are left for a different time. (laughs) (laughs) Different number. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That'll be in the third piece of the show. (laughs) Um, I think we kind of just skipped over this. Will you give me a, a quick, like what Samba Fogo is? Yeah. Um, Samba Fogo is a band and a dance company. Samba schools in Brazil have their drum corps and they have their dancers and we have the privilege of having live music for almost all of our practice, all of our classes. It is amazing. We even have teachers that come in from Brazil and say, wow, I really wish I had a live band for my classes. They're using recorded music. So we are, I don't even know how to describe how privileged <laughs> we are to have a band that can that can read us and we can kind of read them and and have that give and take and samba is it's funny because i think of samba you know most people consider the pasista which the pasista is that bedazzled thong bikini and the huge feathers and the the headdresses and all of the the glamour and it comes from one of the most earthy traditions I've ever come across (laughs) (laughs) so I didn't realize this until I got involved with the dance company but in Brazil they had slaves I think for I want to say almost 30 years more past when America on paper disbanded slavery (laughs) Brazil still had slaves for a very long time and a lot of their traditions um Samba and um, capoeira is yeah. also a, yeah, like dance fighting was a means of kind of keeping their culture and kind of hiding it from the masters so that they could keep their skill set, but do it in a way where they weren't going to be punished or, you know. Um, Less threatening looking. Or- yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um Samba, I've taken um, classes from some teachers that are involved in a tradition called Kanablay, which is, so depending on the country that you, that you either live in or, or where this tradition has come from, like Voodoo, Santeria, and Kanablay are all similar in their origin from a tradition where they they dance for and they sing to um, deities that are called the Orisha, O-R-I-S-H-A. The, the spelling and, and some of the names might sound or be spelled differently depending on if you look up something from Haiti versus Brazil. They're almost like demigods. So there's Oya, who is a female, and she's the keeper of the graveyard, and her color is red. And she is the wind. Um, there's Shango, who is fire. There is Oshun. She is the goddess of fresh water. So there's all of these movements and drum patterns that are paired to these deities. And it's interesting that the more you learn about that, the more you see it in Samba. Um, you can watch these women go down the, the carnival parade route and I'm like, oh, she's doing an Oya move. 
oh, they're, you know, they're dancing for Shango right now because you see this foot pattern or you hear a certain drum beat and it's taken from that kind of showy place back down to a more earthy kind of tribal uh, origin. But Samba just gets all the flash and the, the glamour. <laughs> but it's, it, it's from a, a tradition that is really grounded in ancestry and the elements, really. So it, it's, it's kind of helped me find a connection to things like that, where I think a lot of our Western cultures don't, I mean, unless you're kind of into the, the new agey stuff, there's not really anything in U.S. culture that, that really gives you that, or at least not in my experience. So it was really cool to find that. And that was just kind of a happy accident. <laughs> Do you have something in fire dance that's that is like that, that is thematic or conceptual, or has these other storytelling elements? We well, Lauren, our our director for Samba Fogo, has has created some pieces to kind of put the two together. Where a lot of our fire pieces, because um, Shango is a a deity that is tied to fire and has all these elemental aspects in the stories about him. And so we'll use that drum pattern and we'll, and he, um, he dances with bowls. So our company has manufactured these bowls that are lined with fire resistant tape and we've mounted a wick inside and stuff. So we do, we've, created some pieces that kind of tie those two things together and it's it's really because the tradition is oral it's really hard to find a lot of these stories and 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 kind of feel like you have the you know like the full spectrum of all the stories about this this entity or this character so we kind of get to have artistic license a little bit. I mean, you want to stay true to what you know, but there's so many aspects that being as far removed from the culture as we are that we might miss. But I think that is one thing about the dance company that um, seems very important now, <laughs> especially in the in the times of of being culturally sensitive and and racially sensitive I mean we're a bunch of white women who live in Utah who are dancing an African tradition when you really like go back to its origin and Lauren especially she's traveled to Brazil multiple times she has lots of teachers who are very tied to that tradition and the stories and the and the culture so that we can try to be as authentic as as we can be given the fact that we're a bunch of white women in Utah. <laughs> but it's it's really been interesting to to initially for me I it was like I want to wear one of those feather headdresses. I want to be covered in glitter and be up on a stage and dance to a live drum corps. I mean who doesn't want to do that? Um <laughs> And then have it morph into something that really can tie you to a more spiritual aspect, if that's what you what you want to find or or 
or what you might need in the in the moment. That's really that's really beautiful. Um, we are almost out of time, but I feel like I we know. <laughs> like haven't touched on your jewelry at all, and the fact that you mentioned plants in your intro has been bouncing around back in the back of my head this whole time because because fire and plants seem a little incompatible on just a like little bit thematic planar thing. But the more the more <laughs> you talk about it, the more I'm like, man, she's she is like this earthy, grounded caring uh there's like a meditative quality to what you're doing with the fire like mm -hmm. it's so much more compatible at the end of this interview in my head I'm like oh yeah of course of course she's <laughs> like rocks and wood and crystal and beads and and takes care of plants like it just yeah. <laughs> it's in my head now I I think the appeal for me with plants um so I, I actually work for a company that maintains plants in an office building and you know I'm I'm the anonymous person that walks into somebody's office and waters the plant in the corner and then walks back out. <laughs> kind of a, a strange juxtaposition from being the woman covered in glitter on the stage. But it's like that will to live because some of these office spaces are, they have no windows, it's fluorescent light. It is the saddest place to spend your day. And yet this little thing in the corner is still just there, like breathing, giving some, <laughs> you know, giving some life to this poor dead space. And I end up bringing a lot of them home when they get too sad because you can only live in the dark for so long before my boss says, okay, let's switch the plant out, give them a new one that looks nice. I take all the rehabs home <laughs> because I can't throw them away. I'm like you want to live so my house is kind of a jungle I think just the fact that something wants to live is is something that I generally want to encourage and foster and real quick I'll dovetail into the death aspect of one of my creative makings so I make jewelry from bones from animals that I find on the roadside <laughs> I knew that you made a really cool <laughs> costume out of chicken bones that your coworkers helped you clean off, but I didn't know you like scavenged. I do. I scavenge. It kind of started with a road trip where we came up on a little coyote pup. My boyfriend was like, that's a coyote. You want it? I'm like, <laughs> yes. And we didn't really, so this was before I kept a kit in my car. So I had a grocery bag and a Levi blanket in the car. So I took, this might be a, a little grotesque, but he had been hit hard enough that his guts were kind of on the outside of the body. Sure. So we were five hours from home. So I took the grocery bag, wrapped it around my hand, took his guts and left them for the, for the crows and everything else. And then we wrapped him up in the blanket and hightailed it to a gas station where we could buy some ice and garbage bags and stuck them in on ice and then brought them home. <laughs> <laughs> and it takes about a year for a body to, to break down to just bones, but then I dig those back up and hand scrub every single one with a mascara wand and a toothbrush and a pipe cleaner and whatever it takes to get the dirt off or 
any lingering bit. It's very rare that there's anything left because I put it in the ground. So I let the earth do its job. Yeah. <laughs> and then I pull them back out. And bones are so beautiful. I I think they are. And um, when I get like a whole body out, you can usually see like where the impact was, or you can kind of do a little CSI, which is interesting because it's like, oh, so it must have gotten hit, you know, in the shoulder because the shoulder blades are all in pieces, but everything else is intact. And then the creative part is like, well, can I use this and how can I use it? I picked up a fox where the orbital, the bone right around the eye on both sides had broken. So I had matching pieces to make little dangles out of. I mean, it's, it's really, it's not as morbid as I think it may seem on the surface, <laughs> <laughs> but it is like the collection aspect and the getting them in the ground. It can be, it can be a little gnarly, but I, I give them all names and I usually sing while I'm burying them. And then <laughs> I don't even know what songs, just whatever comes to mind. It might be nonsense, but they all get names and they all have their own little box and container. And then when I'm able to figure out how to display them or how to set them, then then they get to hopefully live on with someone else. I have to ask you on a logistical level, do you have like plots and their number? Like, how do you go? This is where the fox is and I'm ready. Yeah. Um, a ring of, of rocks around where they are and I take pictures which can be a little grotesque but I'll and then I'll set a reminder in my phone for a year out <laughs> so you're gonna get like your phone is gonna be like carcass reminder here is a picture <laughs> yes dig up Hank dig up <laughs> siren dig up I, I had a little bunny named Easter Oh, Siren is, was a um, raccoon that I went to pick up and almost got hit myself. Yeah, it was a bad idea. There's a reason why the animals get hit there. So I now have a new policy of no highway pickups. Okay. <laughs> but Siren seemed like a fitting name for that one because he was just too big and too glorious to pass up, but it could have led to my death. <laughs> oh my heavens. What did you make out of Siren? Mostly earrings. I've got a, um, a necklace where like one of the larger bones is kind of set to where it kind of rests between your collarbones. And then I've got some, some little dangles that come off of that. So mostly earrings and necklaces because of just the the setup that I have, I I don't have the metal smithing types of stuff to really set things in, say, like a ring or anything. So, drilling holes, setting jump rings in them, that that's accessible, but it also kind of limits me to mostly earrings and necklaces. So I told you before we started that I love to interview. Like my listener doesn't know how to do this, and they totally want to do this. Oh, so what does one need in their car kit if they're going to start doing this? I would say lots of rubber gloves, which it seems like everyone has those now. I usually keep about four or five sets and really sturdy garbage bags or like a rubber made tote, but 
that's a little bulky and the garbage bags are easier to to just kind of throw in a corner of your car but that's pretty much all I I use most everyone has a mask my parents have have started to say like wear one of those N95 masks or something because I mean it's dead like like but mom I only take the fresh stuff (laughs) (laughs) you know just to be on the safer side of things a mask and rubber gloves and some really sturdy bags and a space in your yard somewhere where you can let something kind of (laughs) decompose Have you ever forgotten that you had something in your trunk? No, but I did come home one day from work and commented to Josh that it smelled like skunk out. He had one in his trunk. He, he and he for you? Yeah, he picked it up. Um, I named that one Pepe Le Pew because he <laughs> loves me so much that he put a skunk in his car. But he left it in his car for a couple of hours because I had just gotten home. And he's like, I know you've got some things to do when you get home to kind of settle in, I didn't want to like spring it on you real fast. <laughs> so it sat in there for a couple of hours before, <laughs> oh, man. before he did the unveiling. He sounds like a real trooper because he waits with the wet towels and the cold and he picks up the skunks on the. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we, we met um, about eight years ago. And to be honest, it was like one of those where I'm like, yeah, you're my person, but right now you can't be my person. And then fast forward about six years later, and now he is my person. <laughs> For real. Yeah. That's so lovely. Thank you to my guest, Chaska Lance. Oh, thank yeah. you so much for letting me interview you. I've had a blast. Thank you. This is a great way to start my morning. <laughs> you can help more people find In the Telling by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Find out more about In the Telling at lizzylizzyliz.com. Subscribe to the Liz Christensen channel on YouTube for bonus content. Theme music by Gordon Vitas. In the Telling is hosted and produced by me, Liz Christensen. Thank you for listening.